0: If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 9. Uh, Luke chapter 9. And this morning, uh, Lord willing, we're going to consider verses 18 uh, through 27. So Luke chapter 9, we're going to begin reading at verse 18, and we're going to read down uh, to the end of verse 27. God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Before we start unpacking this passage together, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the truth uh, that we have been able to sing so far this morning. Our Father, we thank you for just the amount of joy and celebration that you give us in your kindness. Uh, We thank you for the gift of life for babies and children. Father, we thank you for uh, the medical work uh, that is going on uh, all around the globe, and that it is not just done for the healing of the body, but that it is done uh, to bring people to the one who can heal their souls. And so, Father, we pray that in your grace you will provide much power and strength uh, to those who are laboring for you wherever they are. Give them encouragement in their hearts Give them a unity on the field. Uh, give them your thoughts and your priorities and your purposes and plan. And lead them and guide them and direct them and may they see much fruit for their labor. And Father, for us here, we pray at Crestwick that we also will see fruit for our labor, Lord. Uh, not for our own self-glorification. Uh, or self-aggrandizement, or to feel uh, some sort of self-worth or self-esteem. Lord, may we be a very humble people. Uh, May you receive all the glory for the good that you do. And so, Father, we do commit ourselves to you. We uh, consecrate ourselves to you. We surrender to you and ask that you will, uh, by your Spirit, fully control all of our thoughts and minds, the inclinations of our hearts, our motivation. Everything that we are, help us to truly love and serve you and be a blessing uh, to all those that we meet father for those who are sick for those who are not able to be here this morning we just pray that your hand will be upon them lord i pray that you will uh, lead them close to yourself by your spirit uh, strengthen their hearts and lord please help also some who have been here faithfully for decades who are no longer able to come out uh, on sunday mornings Uh, father please help them to know that they are missed and loved Uh, and loved by none, uh, loved by none so much as by yourself. So, Father, be with us. Open your word, uh, feed our hearts, uh, open our minds, help us to understand and to live out your word, Uh, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is Uh, A relatively familiar section, and as we've mentioned, as we've been working through the Gospel of Luke, and now we're into the ninth chapter, uh, every once in a while we land on these texts and these passages uh, that are often preached on, often spoken about. Uh, Many of you would have some of these verses memorized, and so we land on familiar ground this morning. Uh, But one of the things, hopefully, that you've been able to see, uh, if you've been here regularly as we've gone through the Gospel, is that Jesus, wherever he goes, people are amazed and astounded at who he is. But there's also a bit of puzzlement about exactly who he is. Uh, Lots of people are recognizing by this time in Luke's Gospel that Jesus has power over evil spirits. It's very impressive. Uh, A lot of people recognize that he teaches not like anyone else they've ever heard. He teaches uh, according to his own authority. A lot of people have recognized his ability to heal diseases. And they often will say, here is a prophet from God. Here is someone very impressive. In fact, we've already just seen earlier last week in Luke chapter 9 and verse 7, Herod, the pseudo-king, uh, says when he hears about all that's going on in verse 8, he says, you know, it's some are saying it's Elijah Some are saying it's one of the prophets of long ago. In verse 7 of chapter 9, uh, Herod says, some people are saying it's John the Baptist who's been raised from the dead. And so there's all kinds of bewilderment. There's all kinds of questions about who is Jesus. Uh, The Pharisees later on are going to say that his power comes from Satan himself. Uh, Other people are saying, no, he's a good man. He's a great teacher. He's a prophet. He's obviously empowered by God. And yet, people, they're just not quite sure what to do with him. Who really is he? In fact, just before, in chapter 9 and chapter 8, Jesus stills the storm when he's out of the boat with a word, with his volitional will. He calms the sea. And the disciples in the boat, who have been with Jesus for a long period of time, they've seen him do many things, heard him teach many things, they ask, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Of course, and the answer is given by the man filled with a legion of demons. So the, the sea is calm. They land on the shore. The man filled with a legion of demons meets them, and the demons cry out, We know who you are. You are the son of the most high God. And so ironically, it's the demons who have more perception into the identity of Jesus than the disciples do at that time. So here Jesus prays, this is one of those emphases we've seen, one of the theological emphases in Luke is that Luke often mentions Jesus at prayer, and usually before pivotal moments in redemptive history, and this is one of those times. Luke mentions Jesus was praying, and then he gathers his disciples around himself, and he asks them the question, Who do people say that I am? And these given a variety of answers. And the truth is nothing has changed in 2000 years Uh, you go out into society and you ask people what they think about jesus today in this city and you will get an enormous variety of answers Uh, there are people who will say that jesus was a good person nothing more nothing less Uh, there will be people who are very skeptical about whether or not we can know very much about jesus whatsoever uh, there will be people who will say that he's some sort of, you know, Gnostic or mystical guru, you know, an avatar of some kind. You know, when I was at York University a few months ago, uh, doing a dialogue uh, with the Ahmadiyya Muslim uh, community, uh, one of the things that becomes very apparent is that you know a lot of the Muslims will say they have a higher view of Jesus than we do. Uh, they say, "Well, Jesus was a great prophet, and it's disrespectful to the prophet for you to believe that God would allow him to die." And so this is one of the points that uh, my dialogue partner Farhan uh, made, you know, when we were at York. So you say, well, well, who is Jesus? I mean, is he a prophet? Is he a good teacher? Is he a guru? I mean, Who is he? And so Jesus allows the disciples to tell them, or to tell him rather, but all the variety and diversity of opinions that are around floating around in society. And then Jesus asks this most fundamental and basic and important question. All right. We know what everyone is saying. We understand the chatter. We understand the diversity. But what about you? This is not a democracy. The society does not get to, they do not determine who I am. So you don't go out and you don't conduct a poll and find out this many people believe that Jesus is this, and so that's what he is. He is who he is. No matter what any of us think about Jesus, it does not change who he actually is. He is a real person. He is one thing and not other things. And so part of our responsibility in this world is to understand the nature and the person of Jesus. We do not get the liberty of forming Jesus into our own image. He is who he is. And one of the most basic and fundamental questions is, do you know who Jesus actually is? Who do you say that Jesus is. And not all answers are equally acceptable. There is only one right response. And so Jesus asked the disciples, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter answers, God's Messiah or God's Christ. Now, Luke gives us a truncated or an abbreviated version uh, of what Peter says. The longer uh, narrative is found in Matthew chapter 16, the parallel chapter uh, to Luke 9 here. But for Luke's purposes, he wants you to know that the fundamental uh, testimony of Peter is that Jesus is the Messiah or the Christ. Both words simply meaning anointed one, someone who is specially set apart by god so in the old testament there were many messiahs messiahs were simply people who were anointed set apart for a particular service to belong to god kings were anointed ones uh, priests were anointed ones and so here peter though at this time in history the concept of messiah has narrowed so that the jewish people were expecting a preeminent messiah sort of a definite article Messiah, the Messiah. Lots and lots and lots of little messiahs in the Old Testament, but they were looking forward to the coming of the great Messiah, this one person who was specially set apart by God, for God, unlike anyone else in history. And Peter says, Jesus, you are that one. You are that one special, particular individual who is marked off as completely belonging to God, unlike anyone else in all of history. One of the things that this should remind us of this morning, we have the privilege of participating in dedicating uh, baby Seth, where we have the privilege of hearing about some of the things that the Lord is doing Uh, around the world need to remember that as much as you know life can get very complex and there's a lot of complications and lots of things to know and lots of things to experience and lots of things to do at the end of the day our life's mission all that we are to be about is knowing who jesus christ is and it's one of the things that's amazing actually if you read uh the the biographies that have been written uh by is it vigo is that how you pronounce it Vigo uh, Olson, a uh, medical doctor, uh, is also involved in, not, not technically involved in politics, but also had a lot to do uh, with politicians over in Bangladesh and various things. You find that he said, you know, when they were looking for the place to build the hospital where Mary is now faithfully serving, they looked for a place where people were dying without medical care, And also they looked for a place where people did not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that was the criteria. Uh, They wanted to find a place. Where can we go as medical missionaries? Where can we establish a medical uh, hospital to save physical lives? But also, we need to go to a place where the name of Jesus Christ isn't known, where people don't understand who Jesus is. And so we go to heal bodies, and we go to tell people about the only one, the only physician, the only doctor who can actually heal their souls. And so this morning, we are reminded from what God is doing in Bangladesh, from uh, the life of baby Seth, that what is absolutely essential is that we do not allow the world to shape and influence our views about Jesus. Uh, We do not allow the world to raise our children to teach them about who Jesus is. We we don't allow that. Uh, We allow only allow our views of jesus to be shaped by the holy spirit and what the holy spirit uses to teach us about who jesus really is is this book and this book alone the word of god and so if you want to know who jesus is you go here and this is one of the reasons why unashamedly it takes time but we're working through the entire Gospel of Luke. Every passage, every syllable in this book is breathed out by God to us so that we can know his Son. That's what we're doing. That's what we are dedicating our lives to. We are dedicating our lives to knowing Jesus Christ, God's Messiah, the Son of God, God in human flesh. Now, fascinatingly, because we are to be telling everyone about Jesus— Jesus, in verse 21, strictly warns them not to tell anyone. And the reason for this is almost certainly, at this time in history, the concept of Messiahship, or being the Messiah, had all kinds of connotations in wider society. So if anyone was termed the Messiah, there would have been political implications, there would have been military implications, there were religious implications. The individual would basically be seen as someone who was supposed to drive out the Romans, drive out the pagans, drive out the oppressing armies, and establish a new temporal kingdom and throne in Jerusalem. And Jesus, even though he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, even though he will reign over not just, you know, a tract of land in Palestine, he will reign over a brand new heavens and new earth one day in the future. He did come to be king and to reign over all things, but he first came to, as some older theologians used to say, he first came to reign from a cross. He first came to suffer and to die. So the victory, the vanquishing of all enemies, the vanquishing of evil, the triumph over sin and the devil and death itself, that is all accomplished by Jesus. But the consummation of his victory occurs at the end of this age when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, where he creates a new heavens and a new earth, which is the home of righteousness. Most of the Jewish expectation was that when Messiah showed up, the victory and the triumph and the reign would be immediate. And so the last thing Jesus wants is to use language then, or have language ascribed to him, titles ascribed to him, which will then bring up the wrong connotations in people's minds. In fact, this is why Jesus, for the very first time in all of the Gospels, Jesus begins to teach his disciples what it means for him to be the Messiah. He waits until the disciples understand a little bit, or they understand enough to know that he is the Messiah, but then Jesus says, okay, you know, you're, you're blessed that you know that. You're blessed that you know I am the Messiah of God, but immediately now, you need to begin to understand what Messiahship means, because your connotations are wrong. So he tells them the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So here Jesus teaches them something shocking. Being Messiah means rejection, suffering, and death. And in Matthew's account, we find that when Jesus teaches this, Peter says... Peter rebukes Jesus. No, Lord, this will never happen to you. In other words, Peter basically says to Jesus, you know what, Lord, you're the Messiah, but unfortunately you don't understand what being Messiah means. I'm gonna need to explain it to you. The Messiah doesn't suffer. The Messiah triumphs and reigns. So we're gonna go to Jerusalem and you're gonna take over because you're the king and you're God's anointed and everything is gonna be fine. You'll never suffer and die. You're the Messiah. And Jesus has to rebuke Peter and put Peter in his place say, no, no, you're thinking about messiahship in terms of the categories of the devil and the world where power and might is all that counts. No, Peter, I am the Messiah. I will reign. I am the king. But first comes suffering, rejection, and death. But notice even here in this first prediction of the passion, the first prediction of his death, Jesus also says, and on the third day, he will be raised to life. In other words, long before his death, Jesus also knows about his resurrection. And this is why you know, he is the great anointed one of God. This is why he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Death itself cannot defeat him. Death itself cannot stop him. He says, I will die, but I will live again. In other words, I will have victory over all enemies, including the one enemy you didn't think possible to have victory over. I will defeat death itself. I must die and be raised to life. So the world does not understand who jesus is peter here representing the disciples has a partial view but doesn't fully understand all that messiahship entails so jesus explains what it means to be the messiah but then jesus also immediately goes on to add something else jesus immediately goes on to tell them i am the messiah this is what that means but now i need to tell you something about what it means to be a follower of the messiah So he immediately moves from messiahship to discipleship. Because if you wanted to follow the Messiah, because you thought the Messiah was going to just ride into Jerusalem and give victory and start dispensing, you know, cushy office jobs, uh, you know, in terms of his parliament cabinet, you know, you got another thing coming. And so Jesus wants you to know, if you're going to follow me as I really am, then there are going to be massive claims on your life too. If the Messiah goes to die, what do you think it means to follow him down that road? So he has these very famous words, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. This is very sobering. And and you have to remember, too, that when Jesus first spoke these words, the disciples Had no connotation whatsoever that the cross could be a symbol of redemption and victory. When they heard these words, this was before Jesus went to Calvary. This was before Jesus' death. This was before Jesus' resurrection. And so when they hear, pick up your cross, they do not think of a gold symbol on a gold chain. They do not think of a symbol of victory they do not think of a, a symbol of honor. The only connotation, which was the right connotation for the cross imagery, was that you would suffer in agony, rejection, and shame, and death. That is all that the cross meant when Jesus makes this statement. Now, as Christians, I think also when Jesus made the statement, Jesus also, of course, knew that it would then from the moment of his crucifixion and resurrection on, it would be impossible for anyone to ever read his words without thinking about how Jesus' power and might and righteousness had transformed the cross into a symbol of victory and redemption. But we must not just smuggle back victory and redemption into this imagery. If nothing else, even as Christians, we need to read here that in order to live, in order to really flourish, in order to actually save your life, you must die to yourself. You must be willing to endure anything for the sake of Jesus Christ. And it's not optional. You know, this is not sort of the second stage in discipleship. This is, if anyone wants to be my disciple, if anyone is going to follow Jesus, then they need to die to themselves every day, no matter how agonizing that may be. Of course, in church history, and even today in the world, there are people in this 24-hour period who are literally going to lose their physical lives because of their testimony of Jesus. Today, this will happen. In, in Every day of the 20th century, in every day of the 21st century, people as Christians have lost their physical lives because they will not recant their belief in the Messiah. Every day that happens. And so we must not also, although the language is metaphorical, we must not think that there is never a literal referent to it. That is, there are people who will literally die and who do literally die every day following Jesus. We are called, whether we physically die for our testimony or not, we are still called to dedicate every single moment of our lives to following Jesus, nothing less. We are to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, nothing less We are to give Jesus all that we are. To pick up your cross every day is to resign to the inevitability of your death. In other words, it's like on, on death row when the person starts walking towards the electric chair and they call out, dead man walking. That's you every day if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. You have died to your own agenda. You have died to your own purposes. You have died to your own plan. You have submitted yourself completely to the direction of Jesus Christ. He is your Lord. You go where He tells you to go. You go when He tells you to go. You do whatever it is that He wants of you because you are not independently or autonomously in control of any section of your life if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. He is your master. He owns you. You were bought at a price. You were bought at the price of his life's blood. And so you say, Lord Jesus, every day I wake up and every day my body is a living sacrifice. I die as I live, and I live only for you. The paradox is that it's only in dying for for Jesus that you live. But every other everything that our society and our world tells us about life is a lie. We are so people live dead in trespasses and sins. People are breathing and walking around and talking doing all the things that they do, but they're not actually experiencing life because life is only found in Jesus. I am the way the truth and The life, though this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. There is no real life apart from knowing Jesus. It's all an illusion. It's a lie. And so you find, you give up your living death to know Jesus. You come to him to live and die for him because he lived and died for you. And all of a sudden, you haven't given up anything. You actually enter into real life for the first time, and a life that lasts forever and ever and ever. And so the paradox is, you know, we might think, oh, this is discipleship, it's so difficult. Uh, But it's the only life there is. It's the life that you were created and designed to experience. Life is only found in following Jesus Christ, to the point where it's actually a bad deal to be given the entire world and to lose your soul to lose your very self all that you really are which tells you an awful lot about the relative value of the world and the relative value of your soul you as a person are more valuable than everything this world offers and jesus christ infinitely so much more valuable than everything this world offers. So you take the value of your of yourself created in the image of God, the infinite value of Jesus Christ, and you relate yourself to Jesus by faith, and all of a sudden that faith, that relationship, outweighs all of the value of everything in the entire world. So if you know Jesus, how rich are you? Really. Uh, A couple weeks ago I was reading uh, an article, Mark Zuckerberg, how many of you know that name? Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg is 32 years old and uh, has blessed the world with a volunteer surveillance system that allows everyone to spy on everyone else, uh, even if they hardly know them in any way, shape, or form. So that, because of Facebook, which he invented, I don't have a Facebook account, but, you know, my wife has one, we can find out that, you know, she went to... There is some girl in her grade 6 class who she hasn't talked to in 30 years. Well, it wouldn't be grade 6. My ass is really bad. Uh, she, someone she talked to, knew as a little kid. And they can become friends, even though they're not really friends, and then didn't like each other in grade 6. And, and through all the miracle of Mark Zuckerberg's surveillance system, we can find out what her third cousin's neighbor had for supper yesterday. You know, like, it's it's amazing. You can find out, like, that her third cousin's neighbor yesterday, you know, was just, wrote something like, sun is shining, you know, ginger ale in my hand, hooray life. You know, or like whatever people write, you know, in terms of their Facebook updates. Great, you know, lots of important stuff there. Uh, so because of how important his contribution to the world is, uh, he has a net worth of 52 billion dollars. billion. Now, because I'm bad at math, I didn't do the math, but someone else did. And someone else figured out this. 32 years of age, $52 billion, he has made, from the day of his birth till the present, every day of his life, he has made $4.4 million. Every day of his life. I mean that's a good run for the first six months of your life. Like, you're probably, you know, your parents are probably relying on you for diaper money, you know, when when you're making that kind of money. Now, just think about that. Like, $4.4 million per day for 32 years. Like... It's like half of what a pastor makes, you know, it's it's incredible, you know, and and so you you look at that, you go, oh man, I wish, too bad he's not successful, you know, (laughs) he should have gone to the ministry, that's where the money is, Um, and so you look at that and you go, oh my goodness, like, that's success, but is it? Do you know that $52 billion is virtually nothing in the, in the whole world? In the whole, whole world, all the money there is in the whole world, all the resources there are in the whole world, all the people there are in the whole world, $52 $52 billion, it's just a little tiniest, tiniest slice of all that the world has. And Jesus says, you could get everything in the entire world, not just the little pathetic little slice of it that Zuckerberg has. You could get the whole thing. And it's not even, it's just, it's a no-brainer when it comes to your relationship with me. And that tells you something about how great Jesus is. Who do people say that I am? Well, most people don't say that Jesus is more valuable than the entire world, but he is more valuable than a, a universe filled with worlds. He is more valuable than worlds upon worlds and, and you can multiply into the multiverse or whatever your theoretical, you know, metaphysics and physics happens to be. You, know, you can work it all through. Jesus is better than all of it. He's more valuable than all of it this is one of the things that we do then, when we say we want to raise Seth. You know, the, the Austin Carroll said they want to raise Seth to know Jesus. And, and Mary and others at Memorial Christian Hospital dedicate their lives to healing people's bodies so they can come to know Jesus ultimately. You say, well, well why do that? Well, because there isn't anything else in life worth living for. Oh, and in the church, how often we've let the world shape our definitions of success. Success is impossible apart from knowing Jesus. Because no matter how much you get, it was a bad deal. You cannot be successful apart from knowing Jesus Christ. And as a church, we need to believe that, not just say it. And we need to show by how we live that Jesus is that valuable to us. Well, someone who is this valuable, how could you possibly be ashamed of him? But Jesus says that some people are. That if you're ashamed of me, how can you be ashamed of knowing someone that great? That if you're ashamed of me, when I return in glory, I'll be ashamed of you. But the amazing thing that Jesus says here is that, but if you're not ashamed of me, I won't be ashamed of you. In other words, Jesus Christ, someone who is this incredible, when he returns in the Father's glory with all the holy angels of heaven, Jesus himself will not be ashamed to identify himself with you, if you are his follower, that's an amazing thing. I mean, if I knew someone really, really important, you know, if I knew, you know, one of those blue Jays or, or Toronto Raptors or whoever it is, you know, and, and they showed up for church this morning and, and we were buddies, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd enjoy walking around with that person. You know, I'd like to bask in, in their shadow and, and have you think I'm great because I know them. You know, I'd love to be seen. We love to be seen. We love the photo ops. We love those connections. We love our name-dropping, and I know so-and-so, and so-and-so knows me. This is Jesus, and Jesus will not be ashamed to be seen with us before the Father's glory. And Jesus even says, Some of you will not taste death before you see the kingdom of God coming in power, meaning the Mount of Transfiguration, which happens next, but even more so in his resurrection and ascension, the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, Jesus says, I'm showing you the down payments of the kingdom. Some of you are going to see the certainty of it through my life and my glory. So what about you? Because the disciples all died you know, two thousand, approximately 2,000 years ago. But Jesus' question is still as relevant today as it has ever been. What about you? Who do you say that Jesus is? Do you know him? Does your life show that you know him? Is he the one that you love above all things? I'm going to ask that you take a moment to think about your attitude towards Jesus, your understanding of Jesus. And if you don't know him, you don't even really know what it means to know him. You, you, you take a moment and, and you pray and you just ask God to, to work in your life so you can understand how great Jesus is. And if you are someone who is a follower of Jesus, just pray and ask that the Lord will, will solidify that in your life, that you'll follow him closely, that if there's anything displeasing to him in your life, that he'll root it out, that you can turn away from it that you can follow him. So just take, take a moment to bow. Uh, Whatever is in your heart, talk to the Lord. In a moment I'll pray, and then I'll invite our musicians to come and lead us in our closing song. Lord Jesus, above everything else, may we truly know you. May we never be ashamed of you. May we follow you. May we pick up our cross daily and follow in your footsteps. And may we rejoice, Lord Jesus, that you were willing to die for us so that we could truly live. Help us, we pray, work in every one of our lives to draw us close to you, to know you truly, and to follow you in this world. Our Father, give us your spirit. Help us. For we ask it in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.